0: Hey, everybody, how you doing? So, everybody okay? Everybody good? You alright? You live? Alright, good to see you. Hey, if you're new to church, this is a perfect time to jump in because we're beginning in the book of Colossians. It is an absolutely awesome, life-changing uh, one of the great books in the entire Bible. It's going to be fantastic. And, uh, we love to study, uh, we love to study books of the Bible here. So, you know, what I like to do is ask you to consider making a commitment to be here so we can do this as a church family. We're going to unpack the book of Colossians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, passage by passage, and, uh, mind the incredible truths there. So if you're new to church, you're new to the Bible, this is like the best time, you know, somebody is thinking of coming. So you will understand Jesus, His mission, His purpose, what He wants to do in you and through you and in the world. So uh, we've been doing the series on Jesus. This is like a continuation of that. So um, anyway, uh, so if you've been a Christ follower for decades, it's also an amazing uh, journey because you're going to learn things that you've never heard before. Anyway, so uh, if you want to pray with me, we'll jump in in just a moment. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do this morning. I pray that you would speak to us From your word, things that we need to hear, things that we would be glad for in eternity, in Jesus' name, amen. So in July, we're going to take a little break. We're going to take a little break. We're going to do a summer series, and then we'll dive back in into Colossians uh, after that, beginning in August. Okay, so Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. Might as well have been (laughs) Calamasa. You know why? Because it's a little church. It's not like he's not writing to Rome. He's not writing to Ephesus. He's writing to a small band of of Christ followers in this community here, a group of people who are who are trying to figure out what it looks like to follow God. So it's a smaller community like Calamesa, Colossae here. And so and Paul doesn't personally know the people. Paul's actually never met them. And so if you want to read with me in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in honor of the reading of the Scripture here. So let's stand to our feet, get a little exercise again. And it says this, verse 1, the verses will be on the screens here. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and give thanks to God for the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. And you have this expectation ever since you first heard of the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out over all the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co worker. He's Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He told us about your love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Thank you. You may be seated. So Paul here, he never met these people. Watch this. Watch. All he can do is say this. Though he's never met them, all he can do is say this. I don't stop praying for you. And you know why I don't stop praying for you? Because of the stories which I'm hearing about you that God is doing down there in Colossae. And the way that you're choosing to live. This has gotten to me, he's saying here. And I keep hearing about the choices that you're making and the good news is changing lives. And so I just find myself on my knees, like all the time, thinking God for you. And so what we're going to do today and later in our time together is we're going to have some people come up here and they're going to tell some stories, the same thing about what God is doing. And I believe there are things that would cause Paul even to get on his knees today and to thank God for what is happening in Calamasia, just like Colossae. And so stories that uh, Paul would be grateful for. And so we're going to have Garrett Castro come up, Michelle Petit. Taps, we've got a Mexico video. We're going to have a Houston uh, relief team come up. So the background now of this church in Colossae is this. It's a newly planted church. They're off to a pretty good start. They're hitting a little turbulence, having a few little bumps in the road. But basically, they're off to a good start here. And so what happens here is that they bump up against some pretty lame, weird, kind of sideways doctrine. And so Paul is kind of like uh, the one that is going to correct that there. And so he corrects their little uh, their little turbulence, their little lame doctrine there. But what Paul does here is he hears from Epaphras about Colossae here. And so out of that comes this letter. So Paul is in prison. Paul is in Rome in prison. Now think about it. If you were in prison in Rome, you know, and it's, you know, it's not camp cupcake, you know, this is dark. This is dingy. This is, you know, you don't know if you're going to get your next meal. It's, it's just a a horrible existence. And so Paul then hears about the church in Colossae and writes this letter from prison to them, thanking God for them. And so he tells him, you know what? You don't need to know more and more about Jesus, like there's some super knowledge. He says, Jesus is enough. So on your worship guide there, it says, Jesus plus nothing. And that's kind of the point of Colossians. And the title of the message is this, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right on. Right on. So Paul's like the master mechanic of the New Testament and fixes and aligns churches when they're beginning to drift and get out of alignment there. And so he sort of resets them. So again in verse 1, this letter's from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from Timothy, our brother. So Paul here, he introduces himself. Typical what he would do in a Pauline epistle would would be to introduce himself there. And he's doing prison ministry from the inside, if you know what I mean there. So he's doing jail time in this ancient Roman prison here. And so if you're new to church, though, maybe you feel like you're not the church type. Like, you feel like, I don't know if I fit in. Well, Paul here was didn't start off as a church type. Paul of, uh, Saul of Tarsus here was running with a pack of angry, violent uh, wolves here, you know, which is ravaging the church. And he's like the alpha wolf. He's like the ringleader of the group here. And so, but this really uh, was something that God wanted to eventually get his attention because Paul was a bad guy. He was a nasty guy. He was dangerous. He was violent here. You know, and so he was a scary guy. And he had zero tolerance for Christ followers. And so what he do is he'd go from town to town just busting people up, you know, and imprisoning them. And in early church history, what was recorded was that there was a guy named Stephen. And Stephen was there uh, and uh, preaching the good news. And so they encircle him and they murder him by stoning him what they do is is basically a public execution of Stephen. State-sponsored terrorism in the New Testament. And there's Paul, and Paul's like, yeah, go for it. Kill the guy. You know, he's consenting to his death there. And so, boy, I knocked the coffee cup down accidentally there. So anyway, so, and then what happens is that Jesus has a one-on-one meeting with Paul. He leaves heaven, comes to Paul on earth, on the Damascus Road there, and Paul is so out of control. He's got so many issues here that Jesus then schedules a one-on-one appointment with him on the Damascus Road, knocks him down, you know, uh, begins to confront him there, blinds him, and a radical change happens in his life. Radical change. And so it's like uh, Osama bin Laden becoming a pastor. It was like that dramatic, it's like from jihad to Jesus. I mean, it's just sweeping what happened, you know. And so when he would show up uh, to meetings, people like, you know, uh, we don't really know if we want to be around Paul there, you know. He's a pretty violent guy. And so uh, what happens is he radically transitions from hating the new way, these Christ followers, to then loving them and starting churches. He goes from murdering them, you know, to to doing like funerals, you know. So this sweeping change in his life here. And he ends up writing books of the Bible. You know, he writes like 13 books, you know, maybe 14 books uh, of the Bible there, one we're not sure about. But anyway, a Hebrew. So. But he arguably is the most influential Christ follower in all of history here. So he's under the tutelage of the great... Uh, First century rabbi Gamaliel there, and he's tutoring him, and the one thing he said is, I can only, I can never get this guy enough books. He was brilliant, you know, he was like Harvard educated of the day, you know, had an academic pedigree that was off the charts, has this towering intellect, and he's brilliant with a great heart for God there and really, really smart in this indomitable will. And so that's Paul. So now what happens because of his radical change is the old homeboys and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all they could not stand him. So now the mobs are after him. Now the mobs want to kill him. They stone him, they flog him, they beat him, you know, and so uh, they leave him for dead. He's shipwrecked and all. And so this out of this um background comes this story here. So this is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. Out of that background, God chooses him the least likely candidate to be a Christ follower, becomes a Christ follower. So, you know, maybe you're here, you have a friend that you think they're the least likely candidate. Look what God did in his life. And God chose him to be an apostle, or one who is sent is what it means. Had the special and unique calling of God to be sent out. He started churches and all. And so, now, do you think that uh, uh, he put this on his LinkedIn, you know, social media or anything, you know, Paul, an apostle, or do you think that God chose him or he signed up for it this is something that that he was chosen by God and sort of sort of like this is it it was like God has chosen this life for you and then you choose to live this life if you're a Christ follower today that's really how it is is it you are called and God calls you he chooses you to live this life the life that he's going to call you to choose but you have to choose then to live that life So you have a choice there. And so he says, chosen by the will of God. He was certain that this was the will of God for his life. I mean, how else do you hang in there when you're having the snot beat out of you, left for dead, shipwrecked and all that, and you get back up and you do it again? You know, so anyway, so in your notes there, God wants you to experience his will for your life. Now, I want to say a few words about that. Because see, sometimes God's will is not always clear to us you know, God's will is in his word, you know, but sometimes you think, well, how do I sort that out here? I think one of the ways that you experience God's will is this way. You begin to have a burden. You begin to have a passion. You begin to grow a heart, a deep stirring, kind of an inward pull, sort of a sense of purpose. Maybe it's for a people. Maybe it's for a, for a, a purpose there, but your heart begins to sort of be pulled in a certain direction there, maybe for a certain people. A certain cause there. Maybe it's, you know, to serve at-risk youth, or help marriage, or, or to help... Children or kids or students or marriages or children or orphans or to go somewhere to do something. But it's this pull on your heart there. Maybe it's to teach. Maybe it's to, you know, be a part of a creative team or, you know, but your heart then to get stirred there. And oftentimes that's the will of God there. You know, the calling of God be, being stirring your heart and causing you to lean in a certain direction there. And so he says, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus claimed to, to do things and to be things that no one else ever claimed to do or to be here. And so more books written about him, more songs sung about him, more people, a few billion people claim to follow him today. There is no one like him. And so and he says in Timothy and from Timothy, our brother. So now check this out because I think this is very important. I think that there's something that we really need to get a hold of. Many of us, you know, uh, you really need to get a hold of this. And so he says from Timothy, Our brother. Another place it says, Timothy, my true son in the faith here. So Paul then, spiritually, he adopts Timothy here. And it shows his heart, his heart for the next generation, his heart for Timothy here. And he says, I'm going to be like a father to you, and I'm going to love you, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to guide you and invest in you, and I'm going to help raise you up in your calling and in your journey there. And so... The church, then, is a family. We have kids, you know, grandkids, adults and all. And that's what a healthy family looks like. Not all senior saints, not all kids, but a plurality of generations there. And so people need, we need these kind of relationships to win at life. I would not be here today with you if I didn't have this in my own life. If I didn't have mentors in my own life. Paul's were a Timothy to me. Then the time comes where... You, Paul, get to be a Timothy, uh, get to be a Paul to, to someone else here. And so what they do is they give you wisdom. They give you their life. They share their life with you. And so uh, and your Timothy then receives this blessing from you. So he uses a Paul to guide, to mentor, to help, to educate, to instruct there, uh, to help him. And now not only that, but watch, this is what a mentor also does. A mentor frees you, or a mentor emancipates you from poor judgments, from poor decisions, from going down the wrong roads, from clouded futures and things like that. So this is what Paul did for Timothy. He emancipated him. What he did is he said this, Timothy, because Timothy had problems and issues. He said, Timothy, God hasn't given you that, that spirit inside you of fear but of love and of power and a sound mind. So what he was, he was freeing him from this bondage that he had of this fear. see, that's what a mentor can do for you. That's why you need a mentor, and you need to be a mentor to someone else. So about a couple weeks ago, I'm in this kind of mentoring relationship with a with a young man, and he says to me this. He says, well, he's trying to figure out what to do career-wise, and he says this. Well, you know, my philosophy of life is this. I choose the path of least resistance. I said, you what? (laughs) I choose the path of least resistance. I said, that's stupid. (laughs) Why would you do that? I said, you need to choose the right path. You need to choose God's path. And that might be the path of most resistance. So anyway, but you know, you need mentors that can emancipate you and free you, you know, from your thinking. So that's what they do. And so here's my challenge to you. And here's what I know to be true. There's many people in here, they need a Paul. They need a mentor. Okay, there's many Timothys. And there are, there are Pauls out here today. Okay, and Paulines, okay, that can mentor young men and women. Glad you caught that. Young men and women. But what they need you to do is they need you to get intentional about that. You're meant to do that in this season of your life. I'm speaking directly to many of you. You are meant to do that in this season of your life, but you're not doing it because you're not intentional about it. You're not thinking about it. You're not scanning the horizon. Is there a young woman? Is there a young man that needs me? I tell you a conversation I have almost weekly is this. With young people and young, I'm defining 20s and 30s. I'll say this. I'll say, you need a mentor. You need to find this woman or that woman, or you need to, you know, uh, meet up with this man or that man. This needs to come to expression in the church. And it's, it's largely, it's largely void because we're not intentional about it. So I'm asking you. I'm begging you that you would be more intentional about this and find people that need to be mentored and schooled and you could pour into them like Paul was pouring into Timothy. And if you're a Timothy, maybe if you see someone and think, you know, I need them to mentor me. I need them to coach me. I, need, I could use their guidance in my life. You get intentional and you ask them to help you. Okay, fair enough. Right on. Yeah. So in your notes there, God intends for you to experience genuine, family-like relationships. And so some of you, you know, this is your season to be a mentor, to be available, to affirm them, to love them, to empower them, to emancipate them, and free them from things that hold them back. And this is what Paul did in Timothy's life here, this loving, mentoring you know, relationship, which really he treasured. The relationships I treasure most in my life are these kind of relationships, and I'm on both ends of the spectrum here. So, verse 2 says this, we're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. Some of your translations read, we're writing to saints. Now notice, notice this, in this perverted, drunk, uh, sideways, confused culture, the declaration is this, to the small band of people, I am writing to God's holy people or to his saints. I, you know what this means is simply this. It means that you're just set apart. In the original language is hagios, which just means you you are set apart. Set apart from some certain things we're going to talk about and set apart to certain things here. Now notice it's not, a you know, I know it sounds weird. I get it. It sounds weird, you know, saint like, you know, like, That's like a football team, you know, like New Orleans, like that's a team. That's not like my reality, but but just think about this for a moment. Think about this for a moment. It says you are God's holy people, and so you are a saint. So watch, watch. This is your identity. This is who you are. It's bestowed upon you, not that you earned it. Well, I, I'm not a saint, you know, I still sin. Yes, you occasionally sin, and that's, that describes your life, but that's not who you are. That's not your identity here. It says, you're God's holy people here. And so it's something that you receive. Now, here's why it's so important that we get our identity right. This is why it's so important. Because you live out of your identity. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's who you are. You live out of your identity. So if you stay trapped and you stay stuck in old identities which it's really not you it's not who God has spoken the words God has spoken over your life but if you stay trapped in that you'll never you'll you'll be in bondage and you'll never like live your God word identity there. And so God has a, a new identity for us. so if you're a Christ follower says look you're God's you know holy people that he's separating to himself. So what is he separating you from? Well, you know an empty life He separates you from, you know, dead-end relationships. He separates you from sin there, you know, from darkness, you know, the thing's going to wreck your life there. He separates you into his, you know, a special purpose, God's service. And so in your notes there, God separates Christ's followers, you know, to live for him. That's what he's separating you for as God's holy people. So um, you're as a saint. Now, I get it again. I get it. It's not going to be on your business card, you know, Uh, I fix pools, and I'm a saint. You know, Um, hey, Uh, welcome. Yes, I'm God's holy man. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I get it. So I understand the world we live in. It, and so, but watch. This is what God does. When you become a Christ follower, He announces that you have a new identity, and what it does is it changes your story. It changes your story. And I think what can happen is then you live in, in, in with a, with a, a vertical, a, a, a godly identity there. And so now you are a God. So he gives you in your notes a new identity. God gives you a new identity when you become a Christ follower. Now you have a God-centered identity. Now you are his son. Now you are his man. Now you are his daughter here. Now you're part of God's family. And watch, it shapes your life. This will shape your life here. And what it does is it sets a new script for you. Wherever you're at in your journey, if you receive really your, your new identity, it will set a new script for you. Because watch, I told you that we live out of our, our identities. Let me show you how. You live out of the identity of like, I'm an athlete, uh, I'm a reader, you know, I'm the successful one, or you may think, you know, I'm not successful, and uh, uh, I'm a rebel, you know, or someone told you that you're a rebel, then you can live out of that, and like, but God didn't speak that over your life, you know, but you live out of this old identity here, uh, I'm damaged goods, how many, how many people you've heard say, I'm just damaged goods, and that becomes their identity. Then you know what? It shapes their life. Then they go after relationships which are abusive or dead end relationships because you know I'm just damaged goods. So you see how damaging it is to us. So we really have to get the the new identity. I'm a loser. God didn't say that. God didn't say you. Maybe your parents said that or a friend said that, but God never said that. And so we have to get the new identity. I talked to a gal a couple a couple weeks ago, and I I, I uh, was just chatting with her. And she said, uh, I asked her about, you know, uh, when, when she was, uh, uh, her, her schedule. And she began to t- tell me about her schedule. And she said, well, see, I'm a stoner. She's about twenty. Th- I said, how old are you? She's about 23. And I said, how long have you been a stoner? And she said, since I was a teenager. I said, and you have a job? She goes, yeah, I just, you know, um, you know I smoke, you know, marijuana. And I do, you know, drugs and stuff. But I do it after work. I says, and you're, and you're able to maintain your schedule? She goes, oh, yeah, I've learned how to do it. But I'm a stoner. And she said that multiple times to me. I'm a stoner. And she was living out of the identity. I'm a stoner. And it shaped her whole life. You know, when she, what she did when she got home and her diet and it was all shaped by. I'm a stoner. So see, it's so important that we get our identity right, that we get our identity right with God. You are God's man. You're not who other people say you are. You're who God says that you are. And so uh, right on. I'm telling you, this identity will shape your whole life. It'll shape you, you know, uh, as an employee. It'll shape you as an employer. It'll shape how you parent. It'll shape how you date. It'll shape how you relate here. It will. Right on. Cheers. It'll shape how you date and relationships, baby. And so I have a question for you, though. I have a question for you. Do you think that there might be somebody here this morning that you have lived out of an identity that God didn't give you? Have you ever done that? Yeah, the speaker this morning has done that. I've lived out of an identity that God didn't give me. So God had to work that out of my life that I could have a, 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 a God-centered identity. And so it says here again, how do we become God's holy people? Okay, it says, it, to, uh, it says to God's holy people in Christ. When you're in Christ, you get the new identity. Notice it says in Colossi. In the Roman Empire, there, not Rome, not Ephesus, not the big boys, but the perverted, drunk, confused America 1.0. That's who he's writing here to. Not the famous city, not the, you know, vacation destination. He's writing to Calamesa, California, right? Right? That was funnier, and I don't care what you think. So, (laughs) it's a small town. Just a small town off the interstate is what, really what it is here. And so, God, watch, just want you to see this. Yes, God works in Rome, in LA, in New York, and, in, uh, in big cities. But God here, the, He's working in a big way in a small place here. God works at big and small places. And I love that about Colossi, because it is the smallest and most insignificant place that He would ever write to, but writes the most significant a letter here one of the most significant uh, in the new testament and so and to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ verse 2 congratulations you made it through verse 1 so Amen. verse 2 says and may god i'm going to speed up a little bit here so may god our father give you grace and peace so watch this is god's heart the heart of god the father is this where regardless of what your father was like is to give you grace to live this life and because of his grace you get peace with God here, and watch the life with Him. It's grace based. You don't deserve it. You know it's not performance based. Think of that. Every every other relationship, everything you do in your life, it's performance based. You go to work, you got to perform. Okay, uh, you, you if you don't show up on time, you know you get fired. But see, with God, it's not performance based. It's grace based here. And so, and because of His grace, we experience this peace with God. And so, verse three. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So think about this. It's dark, it's damp, it's cold. You've been thrown in prison. You don't know where your next meal is coming from. You bow your head to pray. And what do you pray for? That you'll get to eat your next meal for safety, for deliverance, that you're not going to lose your head there, maybe a decent meal. What do you pray for there in this This uh, hell hole that you're in now. Paul talks to God about a group of people that he's never seen. Stunning, really. So he asks God to give them several things spiritual understanding, fruitful lives, strength, and patience, and joy. And he says this We always, I'm always praying for you. He's speaking face to face with God. And watch, he's affirming them, he's building them up. Now, they had some issues. They did have some issues. There was some screwball doctrine we're going to talk about later. But uh, uh, but he doesn't criticize them. He just affirms them and thanks God for them and builds them up and says, You know what? I'm going one-on-one. I'm going face-to-face for God. And I'm doing it all the time. And I'm doing it for you here. And so uh, so now Paul introduces the grounds for his thankfulness. Here's why he's thankful. Now, and don't miss this. Because a lot of times when we're thankful, this is why. Well, all the blessings in my life, and thank God for my wife, or my husband, or my kids, or my job, or my house, or, you know. And we thank Him for all the blessings, but really they're kind of all, and it's good to thank Him for those things, but they're all the kind of the horizontal, earthbound blessings. But watch what He thanks God for. This is what He thanks Him for. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. He says, you know what, your faith, it's like audible. Like, I'm hearing about your faith here in prison. It says, Which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. And you've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news, the gospel. And then he says in verse 6, and I want to pivot on this. He says, The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it's changed your lives from the first day you heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. It's because of God's grace. But watch this. Bearing fruit everywhere. The good news, the good news, the gospel here of Jesus Christ is bearing good news everywhere. In Colossae says, and in Kalamesa. And Eukaipa and Bowman and Banning and Redlands and Highland and Mo Valley. But I want to talk want- so so he said, I've heard other stories. Paul said, I've heard the stories about what's going on there in Colossae. I'm just thanking God. So I thought, you know what? It'd kind of be fun. It'd kind of be cool to, to uh, close our time together. Like, let's do the same thing. Right on. Well, you good, good for that? Let's do the same thing. Let's hear some stories. You want to hear some stories? Yeah. That was kind of convincing, but you want to hear some stories? Yeah. All right. Give me Garrett. Put your hands together for Garrett Castro here. He is amazing. And so... Uh, so Garrett is our fearless leader of our outreach here and, uh, uh, Garrett's vision, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, it was no one other's vision than Garrett to do the hundreds of sleeping bags that have blessed the community. Is that cool or what? So, uh, this is Garrett Castro and, uh, I love this guy as a son. Uh, this is one of my spiritual sons, a great man with a great call of God on his life. So I asked Garrett if he would share with us for a, a little bit about what's happening. So Garrett, talk to us.
1: So, uh, we, we began um, with a rooted experience at Sucumbi Lake Park. And what was great is that we didn't really know what to expect. So we just loaded up a bunch of Del Taco bags and uh, brought some of the Gospels with John. And we went out to a park, and there, we had heard that there were quite a few homeless people um, at the park. And so we just wanted to go out and, and do whatever we could to, to meet with them and pray with them and spend time with them. And the first time we went, God called us to keep going back and to keep going back. to keep going back. And it got to the point where um, we basically loaded up a barbecue, and and we were able to get clothes, and and everyone at Sanctuary, all the clothing donations. We have had tables set up, and hygiene kits, and everything there for them. And what's amazing about it is the barbecue wasn't that big of a deal, but when we were there, we were actually able to spend more time with them, Mm. and to eat with them, and Mm. to pray with them. Mm. And it got to the point that we actually... We're there for two hours, three hours. And mm. not only are we, are we able to, to spend time with them, but just being there and eating with them and sitting with them and spending time with them has been one of the most rewarding things that we've seen. Mm. And last time we went to the park, it was pretty profound because um, they've actually invited us into their community. Mm. They know us, and, and we know them, and we embrace them, and we hug them, and they're pushing the barbecue, and they're carrying the clothes, and some of them sleep in their cars. And so they're actually loading their cars up, and they're helping us getting the supplies to the park. And there's nothing more more powerful than seeing someone who's going to serve, and they pull up in their car, and there's actually uh, a few homeless people in the car, and they're helping size people up, and they're serving right there next to us. And they're serving them, and they're making sure that clothing, clothing fits, and the food's there, and it's just been a, a great experience. Um, but God is continuing to just blow our minds there, and... Um, to the point we ran out of food last time. And it's just uh, a need that God is continuing to do in our lives. And that next outing we'll do is July 21st, and it's going to be on a Saturday from 11 to 1. So we thank you guys. On behalf of everyone that's been fed, everyone that's been prayed for, everyone that's received a meal, it's because of you guys and the love and support that you guys have shown. So we thank you guys for that. I appreciate it.
0: Right on, Garrett. You're the best. It's awesome. And um, you know what else is cool Cool is that there are bags and bags of clothes that we get from the school, from the lost and found. They store them right back there. And so we get these bags of clothes from the school. They give them to us, and then they sort it out, and they and they give it to the uh, the homeless in San Bernardino. So it's really cool. Thank you, Garrett. Um, so, hey, we have a video we're going to show you of uh, what God is doing in uh, Mexico. We did a loft house build, and we're going to do another one in October. And so check out this video. It's such a beautiful thing that, you know, uh, a family that didn't have a home now has a home. And so we can't do that for everyone, but we could do it for the one. And so anyway, so God is blessing and bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. So this week, uh, we're going to send a team to Houston, and I'd like to ask them to come up. So uh, come on up, everybody. Put your hands together and welcome our Houston Relief Team. And so when Hurricane Harvey, when Hurricane Harvey come up right up here, Uh, Yeah, come up here. uh, Yeah, stand right here. Stand right here. So um, And face that way. And so when Hurricane Harvey hit, uh, one of the things we said as a church is that we're not going to wait to be asked to go. We're not going to just sit on our hands and wait for somebody to ask us. We're going to pray, we're going to give, and we're going to go. And so uh this team here is going to be going uh and I just love this is our biggest team that we've ever sent. And I want to point out by the way all these ladies here that are going to be going as part of the team doing reclamation and building and helping. Bobby Jean has been this is your third third time Bobby Jean. Third Bob, give it up for Bobby Jean been three times there. So um, but uh we have uh, got a young guy going, and so this is going to be a great team. But anyway, I just wanted you to see them. Uh, so instead of just saying, hey, we're sending a team, I wanted you to be able to see the team and experience the team. i we're going to pray and bless the team. But uh, I'm so grateful to all of them uh, sacrificing their time, going to Houston, uh, representing Sanctuary Church, bearing fruit from our little community here, uh, and changing lives, blessing lives in Houston. It's awesome, just awesome. So let's pray for them. Father, we pray for our Houston team. We pray you'd bless them, pray you'd empower them. We pray, Father, for a great experience as they would be there in Houston, ministering to the people there in that city and helping to rebuild the city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Houston team, give it up for them. Yeah, all right. Thank you, guys. Bearing fruit everywhere. We're bearing fruit everywhere. Paul said, "By changing lives." So I want to ask Taps because uh, Taps is going to go back to St. Joseph's. Taps, our, our, our resident worship leader. Taps, where are you? So uh, there he is. Give it up for Taps. All right. So <laughs> I want you to put your hands together if you appreciate Taps. Put your hands together. So Taps comes to America, and you may know Taps is an orphan from St. Joseph's Orphanage in Zimbabwe. He was uh, went to school here, connected with Sanctuary. uh, Drives all the way from Los Angeles every week to be here from Los Angeles. So, Taps has been our worship leader for, a long, for many years, and we are greatly indebted to you, Taps. But um, you're going to go back to St. Joseph's, and uh, from, where, from where you grew up, yeah. that was your home that for how many years?
2: For 10 years. For
0: 10 years. Yeah. So he's going back there to give them uniforms, and also, tell us about that, Taps.
2: Yeah, so uh, how's everybody doing? Yeah. Good. Uh, if you remember, sometime last year... Um, I spoke about, uh, in Zimbabwe school, is not free. And unfortunately, a lot of kids who grew up in orphanages, uh, I went through the same thing. If we don't have any school uniforms, or if we don't have any books, we're not able to go to school. Uh, we may be able to pay for the school fees, but... If they're not clothed in the right uniform, they get turned away. I made a plea to the church, and the church responded, and these are just some of the guys who sanctuary blessed and are able to go to school now, so give yourselves a hand. So what happens every year, we get a turnover of new boys. The old boys leave, and new kids come through, and so... Uh, The same thing is happening again this year. We have a a couple of new guys who are about 13, 14, um, some who haven't gone to school for about six months now. I just found out, and I'm going back to Zimbabwe on the 20th of June. So uh, just if you guys are interested in helping some kids go to school, uh, I'll be here next week. Again, there's going to be a box out there, and um, let's change some lives. Uh, I'm standing here because of the goodness of a lot of people that I'll never meet, but God has used my life in, in such tremendous ways. And one day, there'll be an army of gentlemen that will talk about Sanctuary Church, uh, inspiring them and blessing them. So thank you for helping those guys. And if you could help us with the next bunch of boys, that'll be amazing. Thank you. Thanks, Josh.
0: And so, bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. So, I also, lastly, I want to call up Michelle Petit. Come up, Michelle. And uh, Carl and Michelle do the couples ministry. And So, she shared with me a story and our staff and um, about uh, that something that happened with a couple. And I just asked her if she wouldn't mind sharing the story. And so, Michelle.
3: So, God is giving hope to marriages at Sanctuary Church. I was talking to one of the ladies that went to the last um, real marriage class. And she said... I was done. It was over. I was out. And she said, and my husband was thinking that we should go through real marriage, and I wasn't really on board for it. And she said, then she walked outside, and I was standing at the guest services, and I said, why don't you guys do real marriage? I've seen a lot of lives change through real marriage. And she says, I took that as a... a, um, sign from God that we needed to do it. And when she did it, she she said that it changed her marriage. They forgot to be friends and now they're friends. And I said, Would you get rid of him now? And she said, I would never get rid of him. We're best friends and we are we're enjoying our marriage again. And so God is so good and I want to invite all of you and let you know that there's hope in your marriages and that He can change that. Mm. So and He is changing it.
0: Mm. Right on. Right on. All right. So uh, let's stand to our feet. And Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that you're bearing fruit everywhere. Still today, not only in Colossae, but in Cala and you're changing lives. And the work that you're doing, you began then, continues now. Father, I pray you would bless us as a community and that we would find that new identity in you. Father, that we would find our calling, that we would realize that we are your sons, your daughters, your people. And for such a time as this, you would use us to make a difference in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.